So if you are a note taker this morning, if you want to just write down this title this morning, it's the title, Family Function. Family Function. Uh, This morning, I want to look at our fifth core value. We just talked about our second core value of prayer, but it's appropriate this weekend on Family Weekend to draw some attention to our fifth core value, which is this desire as a church that we seek to function as a family. We seek to function as a family. This value of our church functioning in such a way that goes beyond just a church service, goes beyond a building we enter or a program we join, but we have this value as a church that Sunday would be, as my sermon is entitled, it would feel like a family function. Family function. That's that core value, that we seek to function as a family. And we see that God's word leads us to think about church in this way. 1 Timothy chapter 3, if you want to look at verse 14, this is the Apostle Paul writing to his young disciple, Timothy, who is a pastor of a church in Ephesus. And Paul writes to him here in 1 Timothy with, for, with one of the three pastoral epistles. This whole letter that Paul is writing to Timothy centers around how Timothy ought to lead and serve and look, about, look at and think about the local church. And he actually says those exact words. Look at it here in verse 14. Paul says to Timothy, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the pillar, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So Paul writes to Timothy saying, this is the reason for which I'm writing to you. It's how you ought to conduct yourself. He talks about the church of God, but before that he gives this great definition. He says, the church of God, which is the house of God. Now, I don't know what comes into mind for you when you think about the word church, but what comes into God's mind, let me, let's set it straight, what comes into God's mind when he hears the word church is not a place. It's not a location. It's not a program. It's not a service. It's a family. The church is the house of God. In fact, in the Greek, that word house, it could be actually better translated the household. Like growing up, that was so confusing to me. I grew up, had somewhat of a Lutheran background as well. And so from that Lutheran background, it was a really nice church building that I was told was God's house. That confused me as a five-year-old. I remember thinking, well, where does God sleep, right? And and in this church I was in, it was really nice uh, backdrop with stained glass windows and they had the baptismal. And I always, like during the service, I would always try to see him. Like, is he back there? Like, this is his house. Is he sleeping in the baptismal? I didn't know what was going on. And I always wanted to get back there just to imagine God. And and all I knew growing up was like, this is God's house. And I always thought, it's you know, God has some rules in his house. You notice this as a kid, it's like, for some reason, God does not want anybody running in his house. No running in God's house. That was like the number one room. Like, God is not into running. Okay, this is his house. Everyone's got their rules, you know. Um, that was the thinking that I had about God's house. Uh, but that's certainly not the way the scriptures lead us to think about God's house as being this building with just a ton of bathrooms, you know, and no bedrooms. Like, I mean, it was confusing. The idea of scripture is 
what Paul is writing about here is this idea of more of a household, a family. The church is the house of God. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, I think says it with a little bit more clarity. It says, Paul writes this now, Therefore you, as a believer, you're no longer, we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but we are fellow citizens with the saints, and we are members of the household of God. So what God has done through Christ, this is what he's talking about here, is he has not just given us the opportunity to be sons and daughters, which he has certainly done that. But he has also given us this opportunity to have some new brothers and sisters. So when we think about church, the way scripture leads us is to think about it as not a place that we go to or a building that we enter or a service we attend, but a family that we are born into through the gospel. That through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are brought into the family of God. So that's what Paul is writing to Timothy, helping him think about it this way, which could give a whole new picture. And I think, you know, that's often what the Bible does. The Bible gives us, especially about the church, a lot of these different metaphors to help us understand who we are as a people and how we relate to God. Things like we are the, the sheep of his pasture. We are the flock of God. We are the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. All these different metaphors, but when we talk about ourselves as the church being the family of God, we need to understand this. That is not metaphorical. It's literal. We are literally the family of God, which is such a lost word, especially for millennials. Okay, I think the other day it was at a, I was at the seed, the coffee shop, and I heard a girl walk in and she said this word for word. She said, I am like literally melting. Maybe like that was me. Um, I felt that way a bit this morning. I am like literally melting. What she should have said is, I am metaphorically melting. I'm like, metaphor. I'm not really, liter- like, literally doesn't mean literally often. It means metaphorically when we use it. But when we say that we as the family of God are literally the, ch- the, the, the church, the church is the family of God, we mean this is to be absolutely received as truth. That Jesus is our Father, and we, and those who are in Christ, we have been united. Though we might have our differences and things that separate us through the gospel, God takes people that no one on earth would ever put together, and God makes them family members. It's amazing. The work of the grace of God. Maybe for you, you come from a background where you don't have family. And what you need to be reminded of today is you have a family. You have the family of God. This, again, is where... Paul is leading Timothy to think, Um, so much so that we can think about, again, Sunday morning, as we said, as a family function. That's what we're doing here. We're getting together with family. But I love this next part. Look at verse, or chapter 5. If you go to the next uh, two chapters ahead, in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, look at this verse in verse 1. Paul tells Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with all purity. So this is super cool. What what Paul is now giving Timothy is more than just a theology. He's not moving him past theology. We don't ever want to think that way. Like, oh, theology is over here and then practice is over here. We don't make those two things mutually exclusive. As Christians, we're rooted and grounded in the truth of Christ, and we don't move past that to get to practice, but we move with and through theology to work out our faith with fear and trembling. Amen? And so Paul gives this theological reality. The church is the family of God. And then two chapters later, what Paul is seeking to do is to lead 
Timothy to function in a family. So he says things like, in the church, here's how, how I want them to function. I want you to look at the older men as fathers. The older women, look at them as mothers. The younger men, look at them like brothers. And the younger women, look at them like sisters. And I love that he adds this, with all purity, in purity. So there's the theology, there's the faith, but then there's the function. You see, faith without function is simply a concept, it's an idea. But what God wants to give us with theological truth is faith with a function. So when we talk about the idea of the church being a family, again, that core value is therefore that we seek to function in such a way. We want to not just be people who go, yeah, we know what the Bible has to say about this. Here's the real question. Here's the real test of truth as to whether or not we know the gospel. Not if we can propagate it and give you every fine line and point of how it applies to this area of life, but are we functioning in the gospel? Are you hiding things from the church? Are you afraid to enter into community with the church? Have you reduced church to a service that you attend, but there's no one in here who really knows you? That would be called dysfunctional theology. That's dysfunctional. That's not what God intends. He seeks to lead us to function as a family. So that's what we're after. I mean, try not to get things too complicated. We want to understand the truth of God's word, but how can we as a church actually do this? I think that's what we're trying to do. From the beginning as we've prayed, we've just gone, how do we do our best to not make this thing a religious activity? You guys know what I'm saying? Like genuinely. There's something about Christians and spiritual people in church history that we just kind of have this bend, like a shopping cart with a messed up buggy wheel, you know? We just have this bend to go towards religiosity, right? We have this bend, you know, like your car without an alignment, and you take your hands off the steering wheel for one moment. You shouldn't do that, but if you're texting and breaking the law, you do that for a second, and your car starts to veer. We, we tend to have this bend towards isolation, this bend towards just being religious, this bend towards just going to church, and what God's word wants to do by his spirit, God wants to align us so that we're functioning as a family. Well, what does that look like? That's a few things that I've asked, and uh, turn to Acts 2 now as we kind of change the, the thought here. Acts 2, real quick, Acts 2. In Acts chapter 2, we have the church in its purest form. The Holy Spirit has brought 3,000 people to faith in Christ, and Many people look at this point as the birth of the church, the first church. Imperfect in many ways, different context, I get it. Whole, some entirely different dynamics going on. But you see in a lot of ways, you see church as it was meant to be. Before all the religiosity, before all of the titles, before all the politics, you just have a group of people who have been impacted by the love of God. And it says in Acts 2, in verse 40, it tells us about this church, and it gives us a few key points of functioning as a church family. It says, with many other words, verse 40, Acts 2.40, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them, added to the church. It says this in verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What a beautiful vision of a church. Amen? I mean, like, let's not get, just, we're eating food, we're praying, we're seeking the Lord. Now, let's not make this too much, you know, about butterflies and lollipops, because this gets to be a very difficult time for the church. We see persecution strikes this church, but just the church in its purest form. And it looks a lot like a family, doesn't it? There's some key points of how this church looks like a family. Write a couple of these things down. The first thing we see is we see fellowship involved, fellowship. How do we function as a family? Well, as a church, we need to have fellowship, fellowship. This word is used a few times here in the original language. It's translated as fellowship there in verse 42. We see it again in verse 44 that not all who believed were together and had all things in common. It spoke of this unifying common factor that these people had. That despite their differences, there was this unity of heart and spirit and vision because of who saved them. And there was a fellowship. So when we talk about fellowship, what we're talking about is this idea of making yourself at home in a church family. That's what we're talking about. Making yourself at home. Being a part of what some have called a local fellowship. That's what we have here. We have a fellowship. We don't just have a bunch of saved people broadly scattered and visible. We have the visible church of God gathered and assembled together in a fellowship, continuing daily in fellowship. Now, I think this is important to talk about. I don't know if this is talked about enough in the church, that there is such thing as the invisible church. This is where a lot of people end their Christian faith, but it is true in Scripture that as you come into Christ and you are born again, you are brought into the invisible, in a sense, family of God, meaning you and I, which is kind of cool, we are a part of the same family as people like Martin Luther, people like the Apostle Paul, people who are right now in China. There is this invisible sense to the bride of Christ, the family of Christ, and it stretches across the globe. It stretches throughout uh, history past and eternity future. You read the book of Revelation, and you see this invisible church made visible. You ever read this picture here in Revelation where it describes every nation and tribe and tongue throughout all of history is gathered together with Jesus at the center? It's a beautiful fellowship. It's the family of God. But what we see in Revelation, all of the church visible, this has been God's heart and work throughout all of history. This is what God has always done. You see, he'll call a people to himself, and then he will assemble those people together to make visible the work that he has done. See, it's God's heart that you wouldn't just be a part of the family of God invisibly. I've heard people say that, like, you know, I don't need to go to church. I'm in the church. Okay, well, you could also say, I don't need to go see my family. I'm in my family. Some of you are like, I actually, sometimes I feel that way. But You see, we're not like any earthly family as the church. We are these kinds of, the Bible says, these almost new creations of God. So there is a call in Scripture for Christians to make themselves at home in a fellowship. The importance of being assembled together, just like Israel was there at the base of Mount Sinai. Just like we see the church of Acts here in Acts 2. Just like we see the church in Revelation. 
We want to be consistent with how God has worked throughout all of history, and so it is valuable for us to be a part of not just the scattered, invisible church, but every Sunday, it is such a great experience for us to come together. We are the visible, gathered church of Jesus. And all over this city, all over this county and region, all over the world, to think about right now, and wrap your mind around this, well, there's time zones, but right now in the eastern time zone, there are families of faith coming together around Jesus to make visible what God has done. How amazing is that? That God is doing this incredible work. And what we're giving is this. When we get together and we come together around Jesus, we are a continuation of how God has worked in the past. And we are giving a prophetic foretaste of the future as people see what heaven's going to be like. And this is true. This is the vision of heaven. All different, but all united around Jesus. So I just want to say this. If you're someone who's like, you know, I'm into Christianity. I'm just not into the church. I'm not, I don't really want to be a part of a fellowship. Then that's like saying I'm not into heaven. To be into Jesus and not be into the church is to be in Jesus, but not into heaven. Because guess what heaven is filled with? Us. <laughs> Us and all our differences united together around Jesus. So our encouragement to you first and foremost is to make yourself at home. And I want to just say that this doesn't mean make yourself home at Solus Church. And we've said this from the beginning. Um, we certainly don't believe that we are the you know, long-awaited church that never was planted until now. You know? Like Jesus is the Messiah, not Solus Church, right? Amen. Yeah, we can amen that, hopefully. Okay. Certainly. But we don't see ourselves as the, the, the one church. We believe that the church has so many beautiful and unique expressions locationally, demographically, culturally. But for our unique expression, we would encourage that if you have been coming here, you've been attending church here, and this is where it seems like God has called your feet to land, maybe the next step for you is to make yourself at home. Put your feet up a little bit. Get a little bit more comfortable. Don't just sit in your seat and sitting through service. Lay your hair down a little bit, right? Get to know some people. Make yourself at home. Find your family. Find your family, wherever that might be. Maybe it's not this fellowship. Some of you guys are here visiting from other fellowships today, but the importance would be that you are connected and committed to a fellowship. Secondly, we also see this idea of relationship. Within the context of fellowship, it goes on to say, did you see verse, what is it? It's verse 46. It says, they continue daily with one accord. They continued daily with one accord. And verse 44 says that they all believed and they were together. It speaks of this unity and togetherness, which is what fellowship gives way to. Being a part of a local fellowship in community, it gives way to what God is, is hoping to produce through local churches, and that's relationship. Like that's, and that's also our model. I think there's a, there's a lot of ship words, isn't there, in Christianity? There's like discipleship, apostleship, fellowship, potato ship, mayflower ship. Okay. Um, all these ships. Um, discipleship's another big one. And I just want to say that, that at Solus Church, we're working on right now really in praying through seeking God for what does discipleship look like. Uh, we're going to be rolling out a whole new series, a little preview uh, in September about what does it look like for us to be a church of disciples, making disciples here. But I would say that for me, if I could wrap up the word discipleship in one word, my simple definition would be this, relationship. Um, a friend of uh, a couple friends of mine work at a church in Chattanooga, and their motto for discipleship is recipleship. And the idea is relational discipleship. Not, hey, don't talk, just listen to everything I have to teach you, but intimate and honest, vulnerable connection and relationship. So it starts with committing to a local fellowship. 
okay? Which is really hard for us because we're Americans. And as Americans, we always want to keep our options open. Who knows if a new church gets planted across the street with better worship and better teaching and better children? I don't know, okay? So we like to do that, but what we often think about church as an entitlement, we need to recognize and see that most of our entitlements are actually privileges. It's, it's not in other parts of the world that you get to church hop and church shop. You commit to a local fellowship of people that are as broken as you are, and you enter in, maybe it should be not we seek to function as a family, we seek to dysfunction as a family, Right? We, we come, we bring, we bring ourselves as we are. We come as we are with who we are, committed to walking with Jesus together. And it's starting, listen, this starts by seeing one another as a necessary ingredient to our sanctification. We, we need each other. I need you and you need me. The Bible says, don't let one part of the body say to the other, I have no need of you. So we need each other. Our own growth and discipleship, it's a group project, Right? And we're all needed, so it comes through relationship. But we all know this, too, about relationship, that relationship doesn't happen overnight. You have commitment involved, first there, for fellowship, but relationship is the byproduct of consistency. It's the byproduct of showing up. Like, maybe you're new to this whole faith thing, following Jesus thing, and you feel like everything's way over your head. Let me simplify Christianity for you, okay? Start small and just be consistent. Some of us who have been walking with the Lord for 20 years, we know all about the Bible, we still struggle to do that. Start small, a time in God's word, a time with God's people, getting to know people. And the biggest thing, it's amazing what God will do with a Christian's consistency. Not just a sprint, but when you commit to the long haul, when you commit to a local body of believers, when you commit to a relationship, you don't always see the fruit in the season you're in. But it's amazing what God can do with commitment and consistency. Just here, here's the simple truth, okay? Maybe you're here today, you're visiting, you've been at another church, it's been kind of tough, and you realize maybe today that you need to go back to that church because your entitlements were really privileges. And it's not that their theology is off, it's not that their mission statement is antithetical to the gospel, but it's that the music's too loud. And maybe what you need to do is just keep showing Maybe they need you at that church. Maybe this church needs you. I I don't know where it is. That's between you and the Lord, but the principle is the same. Keep showing up. Come as you are and watch what God does. And the third thing, write this one down, membership. Here's another key component of a local church functioning as a family. You need fellowship. You need relationship, and you need membership. Notice this. It says that they had all things in common in verse 44, and they sold their possessions and goods, and they divided them among all as anyone had need. Now you have members of the body meeting other needs of other members of the body. People coming with a key component of membership is ownership, taking ownership of the vision and the mission, and recognizing your own gifts that God has given you as something that's been entrusted to you to minister on behalf of Christ to those that are around you. True membership, now when I threw this word up, depends what your background is, okay? We got all sorts of different reactions in here. Some of you guys, more Presbyterian background, said, yeah, membership. That's what was wrong with this church. They're finally talking about membership, okay. Membership, and that's your background. It's, it's formal membership. You verbally or you, you, you sign and you commit in some way 
Just like we dedicated ourselves to raise our children, you've dedicated yourself in a public way, perhaps, to a local assembly, in a formal way. Some of us come from the background where every weekend the lead pastor lets us know that he's not even a member of the church that he's pastoring. Some of us come from a background where membership is like, it's like evolution. It's like, don't say that in this background, okay? It's like a church curse word. <gasps> membership? What are you making me do? And that's our American. It's like, don't tell me to do anything, right? I'm free. I'm an American. God bless America. No membership, right? Regardless of your persuasion, I'm not here to try to convince you to, to informal membership or formal membership. Here's what God would lead us as a church to be after. Functional membership. It's not about the paper. It's not about the freedom. It's about a local body of believers available for God to minister within the church through the people by his spirit. You can be all, all verbally committed as much as you want. That doesn't mean you're functioning as a member. And on the other hand, you could have all the freedom in the world, but that doesn't mean you're committed to that local assembly. Now, I get why a lot of churches have a formal membership. People go, it's not in the Bible. Well, guess what? The Church of America wasn't in the Bible. You know what was in the Bible? Commitment. You know what was in the Bible? Committed, persecuted Christians that weren't going to switch and church hop to the other persecuted church. So I, I get, there's a lot of things today in the American church, in our context, where, where we are non-committal consumers. I get the need to say, hey, we're going to have to implement some ways for us to go against the grain of our Americanness. Are you guys with me? So membership, it's this way to express that. I get it. Here's where we're at. What's your heart on this? My heart for you is that you would find your function. That's it. That you would find your function. Listen to Romans 12. It says this, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, soulless church, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then differing gifts according to the grace that is given, here's the encouragement, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let it use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. I think we got to see Isaac using his teaching gift this morning. What a great example of that. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. The idea is the body needs every part. And this church, this is where God has called you into fellowship. This is where God is calling you into relationship. What God is also calling you to is some ownership. And for you to function with the gifts that God has put in you. And so that's how this church exists. Many of you know this, but this church exists because of functioning members who give out of their pockets for us to be here today. For Solace Church to exist. They have owned it. It's not, you know, their vision. It's not Andrew's idea. This is not about me. It's our vision. It's Jesus' church. And it's people who give also their time, people that show up here every Sunday at 8 a.m. There's people that show up here to get the stage set up, to get the sign set up. What are they being? Functioning members of a church. You know, there's something that happens when you move from just being company and the guest, right? I mean, come on. When your family comes over, they are so different than when you have company over. You have different expectations of family and company. Now, if you've been coming here to this church for the past three weeks, you're like, oh my gosh, all right, like, oh, I'm ready. No, I'm not, I'm not, we're not trying to twist any arms, but the heart of this is this. If this is where God has called you, we want to call you to take some ownership, to be a functional member, 
to begin giving, to begin tithing, to begin serving. Maybe you serve in the children's ministry. You give a helping hand so that we could all together own this vision to see God at work, and ultimately so that we could be the kind of church that Jesus leads us to be, which is a family. Amen?